Welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. This is Pacers editor Nat Newell for IndyStar. I'm here, of course, with Dustin Dopirak, our Pacers insider. Uh, been a couple weeks with the holidays, and Dustin uh, uh, taking a, a small break. I always want my beat writers to take a little time off. Um, normally, they refuse to do it, um, but fortunately, <laughs> Dustin had to do it. Uh, his wife, he had a wedding to attend with his wife. His wife clearly outranks me, as she should, in terms of getting Dustin <laughs> to take time off. So we uh, we want to thank her uh, for, of course, maybe you got less rest uh, with the weddings than you did with the, uh, um, the than the beat, but I don't know. So <laughs> not that, but a little bit more rest. I I, I wasn't sitting up uh, writing game stories, but also congratulations to Natalia and Robert, former uh, indie star reporter Natalia Contreras was the uh, the bride in question, and so uh, a significant amount of us. Uh, you know, current and former star people were down in Mexico for that. So, you know, congratulations for congratulations to them. But so, yeah, it was definitely, you know, travel is a little different, but was definitely relaxing uh, to get out there. Had never been to Mexico. Uh, so got to see some things I didn't get to see. You don't usually get to be around a beach. Uh, we were on the Gulf Shore. Um, so don't really usually get to be around the beach in January unless you're in, you know, covering college football bowl games. Uh, and since I haven't been to one of those in, in a while, that was still kind of nice to be uh, around there for the New Year's holiday. So it definitely was nice and relaxing, but and it been a great time. So I wanted to thank, uh, but thank Natalia and Robert for, uh, for inviting us. And speaking of celebrations, uh, the Pacers, uh, now own the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so congratulations <laughs> to them. Um, mm. Coming into the stretch, they go Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Boston, Boston. Um, the first game was on the road, obviously. The rest are at home. Um, mm. Going into the five-game stretch, I was thinking, you know, you've got to come out uh, two and three with one of the wins obviously being Atlanta, but they're already – they beat they, they swept the home-and-home home with the with the Bucks. Uh, how big a surprise was this to you? Uh, obviously, you were just for the record. You did not cover the game in Milwaukee. You were at the game last night. Uh, but mm. how big a surprise was this uh, uh, to you to watch the Pacers win, especially last night? They win convincingly. Well, everything got a little bit less surprising as they took every step. I think because you you go from um, you know obviously that stretch where they lose six out of seven and they didn't look very you know they, they just didn't look very good. I mean, the only the only win they got was Charlotte um, and. You, but, but basically, like, you know, I, I, you know, covered the Houston game remotely. Um, and so you started to see, okay, they're, they're getting it back. They, they've kind of rediscovered their legs. Obviously, they make the lineup change. Um, and in that first game against the Rockets, I mean, they, they didn't, you know, really get to play that lineup very much together because, I mean, Jalen Smith and, and, uh, Miles Turner got in foul trouble. Um, so kind of keeping those two bigs together didn't work, but then each, each game, I mean, I was obviously looking in box scores while I was in, in, uh, Mexico. I didn't have, uh, I, I couldn't access my streaming service, you know, my direct TV from there. Um, so I didn't see anything other than kind of highlights they put on Twitter. And it was like, okay, well, they're obviously progressing towards something and this is working. I mean, they hold the Bulls to 104 and you're like, okay, well, there's, uh, certainly some defense, pr- defensive presence being shown there. They're fixing some things. And so if they beat Milwaukee before, they can beat Milwaukee again. Um, you know, I, I thought I was a little surprised just because I thought, okay, the Bucks have figured, you know, the Pacers out. You know, the, the, the Pacers don't have an answer for Giannis. Um, and, you know, you can't trust Lillard to be shaky uh, game after game. You have to presume that there's just more talent and firepower on that Milwaukee team because they have those stars. Um, but, you know, once they beat them in Milwaukee, like, well, I mean, they could certainly beat them in Indiana. I thought they would lose, you know, in, in that kind of back-to-back because – uh, it just seems like when I've seen these so far with the Pacers, they, they've been one and one. I mean, they had uh, the, the um, you know, back-to-back-ish, you know, the, the, the two and three days stuff. Um, you know, they, they, you know, the Pacers won the second game against uh, Philadelphia, and then they won the second game against Miami. And it just seems that there's a advantage you get almost, you know, you, you lose the first game and you learn lessons and you apply them. Um, and I just kind of presume the Bucks would do the same thing. But the Pacers... I, I, it wasn't totally shocked they won, but I was I was kind of surprised with how it happened. I mean, they really you know blew Milwaukee's doors off in that third quarter with 47 points and just really were in control. Did not expect a fourth quarter uh, where the Pacers never had a lead south of double digits. You know, and and the Pacers seemed like the more energetic team. The, the Bucks looked like the team that was whipped. I mean, it it did feel like a playoff series in the sense that it was, it was like a, a gentleman sweep. Um, that, all right, like, toward the end there, it was like, okay, you know, the 
uh, older, slower team was accepting its fate. Um, you know, that, that's what the Bucks seemed like. Okay, like this is just a night we're not going to get them, and, you know, that's the end of this, and we're done, and we have to go home and retool after this. Um, and so that's that's how it seemed. I did, I did not expect to see, uh, you know, them kind of take the Bucks' spirit away, you know, and, like, because that's not, not a thing the Bucks and the Pacers have been doing. They've generally been allowing teams, even when they built big leads, to come back because they just haven't been a good defensive team. And it's not that they played great defense last night. You know, 130 points on, you know, 1.19 per possession uh, isn't some kind of lockdown, uh, you know, defensive performance. But, I mean, they, they, they kept Giannis you know, relatively in check. I mean, more than they um, stopped him, they, they he just didn't take a lot of shots. I mean, he, they, they put that wall up and he only took 13. He was looking to pass first and up with eight assists. Um, but... They, you know, just the way that they won this game, I, I would say, was 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 at least a little bit surprising. I just didn't think it was going to be that thorough uh, of a butt kicking, honestly. Uh, I like the gentleman sweep, gentleman's uh, sweep reference when the one game that they were being gentlemen and letting the uh, Bucks win was uh, <laughs> a game in which uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo tried to break into the Pacers locker room. So uh, we'll enjoy the irony there. Um, not, so not, not much gentlemanly. I got a kick out of so I, I led with this. I got a kick out of the you know his interaction with James Johnson, and I yeah. like, it, and I, I I wasn't sure, but on the broadcast you could hear Johnson say I was already on my way. So and obviously I don't know what Giannis asked, and so that could have been anything. But it's certainly you, you could certainly you know kind of imagine a scenario or at least think that there's some logic in saying that Giannis was asking, did you really get signed to come up here and kick my, kick my butt? I mean, that's, was that, are you, did they sign you just in case you had to fight me? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I think, I don't know that that's what was asked, but there's reason to believe it. And I got a kick out of that. And it was, and James was really, uh, you know, did laugh and smile and kind of tap him on the chest, which I thought was kind of cool, but like, it was, but it was also very like, you know, it, it was a very, we're moving on from this and, and, and everybody was kind of being nice to each other at the end, uh, going away deal that I, but I thought it was, it was sort of interesting the way that they parted ways there and that, that in some way, Giannis and James were the ones who met in the middle and James wasn't even a part of it in game three. So that was, I thought, kind of intriguing. Um, and, and what does this mean? I mean, how big is this, uh, in terms of where the Pacers stand? I mean, I, I, I don't think they're the second best team in the East. Certainly not. But they're are they the fourth or the fifth? I mean, I think we're in we can and again this is Philly in some respects. It's eighty two games, and I think the last podcast we did, I said they're probably a five hundred team. Um, mm. So uh, you know, just don't listen to anything I say. But uh, <laughs> how good do you think they are? Where where do they rank in the? And and again, noting that the East is really tightly packed, and sure. you know there isn't much difference between fourth and seventh or whatever it is. Fourth and eighth, yeah, and and I think well, and I guess that's the biggest thing. You're looking. I think one thing I try to figure out uh, when it comes to stuff like this is, okay, what is the least thing? That, what does this at least prove? Um, because you could certainly, you know, picture a scenario where they end up being fourth. But, you know, more to the point, I think what it's it's starting to define is them as part of this pack that's forming from four to eight. And, you know, it, it also includes Miami, Orlando, Cleveland, and the Knicks. Uh, and you're seeing some separation between them uh, and Brooklyn, and, and kind of the next pack is Brooklyn, Atlanta, Chicago, and Toronto. You know, all those games are with all those teams are within a half a game between nine and ten, but there's now a four and a half game separation uh, between the Knicks and Brooklyn. The Knicks are currently sitting in the, the Knicks and the Cavs are, are tied uh, at seventh and eighth, um, but the Pacers are only a half game up of that in fifth, and, and the, the Heat are only a full game up of that in, in fourth. So, but I, I think it's it's establishing that they're part of at least for the moment that pack and that you know, having some separation between you know them and nine ten matters. That that is something that's the, the fact that that's starting to form means you're at least setting yourself up that if you find yourself if you do fade, you're fading to seven eight, and you know seven eight gives you uh you know. Uh, like uh, a head start in the playing round. Obviously, you, you know if you're the eight, you play the seven. You have a chance to get in in one game. You only have to win one play-in game to get in, versus having to win two and having to win them both on the road when you're when you're a nine, you know nine or ten. And that's significant because I just think the 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 baseline goal for this team is getting into a four game a, a best of seven playoff series. If they just get to that, 
they will have achieved their goal, and everything else from there is gravy. You know, if they win a series, that's a big deal. If they win two series, that's a big deal. Um, and so I think this that that separation is starting to form, and that is important. Uh, you know, again, having for now a, a four and a half game cushion on um, you know, or is it a five game cushion? Uh, no, for now it's a five game cushion uh, on you know on the nine and ten seed. You know, matters. And so it's like, you know, it's not that you'd have to see the bottom fall out to see a five game cushion disappear. Um, but it's something. And, and you, and, and you, just the trajectory everybody's heading, you know, those, like the Nets and Hawks are five games back of 500. And so, you know, they're in position where they might be trending towards being sellers. And Toronto is in that pack and they've already, uh, you know, sold. I mean, they, they've got stuff back. I mean, they, they got a good, um, you know, a good package, uh, you know, for, you know, o, you know, OG Ananobi and Precious Achunwa. They, they got players that are ready, you know, that are guys that can play now that can make a difference in RJ Barrett, um, and, um, and Emmanuel quickly. It's not like they, they immediately become, uh, a, you know, Charlotte, Washington, Detroit, you know, just gunning for the first pick, um, you know, lottery team. You know, Toronto has a chance to be a playoff team, but still, you know, they, they could also sell off. Siakam, you know, you know, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Chicago could all be sellers to the deadline and they could all fade back further than what they are. Um, you know, so I think being a, above that line, um, and, and there, again, there being some separation there it, is a deal in itself. That is something that this proves and says. Um, you know, it, it, then there's kind of the next question of what, what could it say? You know, what, what could it say long term? Does this, Elevate them so that if that four to eight packs, that the, the separation within that, are they going to be above whatever line is created? And and they could be. Uh, you know, I, I, you certainly have to keep in mind that, that this team fades on defense. Um, you know, it, it, even on their good defensive t- games, they're not a great defensive team. You know, again, like last night, they they had reason to be happy with themselves for what they did defensively, and they still gave up 130 points. So you know, like that's. This is it's just not a great defensive team, and then, and I just don't think they're going to be. I mean, I think even if they make some additions to the deadline to get better on defense, they're only going to be so good. Um, so they're they're still vulnerable to some slums, to some bad stretches. But again, I, I, it matters that they reasserted themselves. It matters that you know when they dropped six out of seven, they 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 hit five hundred, but they didn't go below it. Um, and you know, kind of got back right with the stretch uh, that, that they can kind of resummon that. I, I, again, I, I think there are slumps to come. I, I don't think they're going to get on on some kind of you know rocket ship, ship trajectory and find themselves you know in that Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia discussion. Um, and and I don't know that they're necessarily going to dramatically separate themselves from Miami, Orlando, Cleveland, and New York. Um, but if if they're going to be a part of that, then they're going to that then that hits their goal, and I think they are closer uh, now to being that. And and but what I also think it says is if they catch Milwaukee in a playoff series, you know if if, if they end up say with the seven and Milwaukee's the two, or if they're the six and Milwaukee's the three, uh, they could win it. You know they could win it. They could take four out of seven. That doesn't guarantee that they will, but if they're certainly going to go in with that with some level of confidence and believing that you know. That, uh, you know, it, it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going down. Uh, Milwaukee just lost to Miami, uh, you know, last year in a best of seven series. They're vulnerable. Um, and so I, I think it would give them confidence if they get in the playoffs, um, and whether, you know, in some way, shape, or form get lined up against Milwaukee, they gotta believe that they have a chance, chance to take that thing. Um, and that confidence will be there. You know, they're not gonna play each other between now. Um, and, you know, and April, and if they meet up in April or, or early May, there's a chance that they could pull off the upset, and they have reason to believe that they can't. What do you think? How important are these two Boston games? They play Atlanta on Friday. They got Boston Saturday and Monday. Um, I, you know, I can overlook the Atlanta game. The Pacers can't. But um, what, what? how important do they need a split here? Or, again, it's 82 games. Does it, How much does it matter? What are your thoughts on how important these next, uh, you know, the two games against Boston are? A little bit of gravy, I think. I mean, I, I mean, I, th- I mean, Atlanta is important in a, in a manner of speaking. Atlanta is more important. I mean, the Halliburton made a point of uh, 
mentioning last night, you know, uh, he was kind of asked about what it means to take down a team like this, and he he, he did say, you know, uh, we've got up for these games, and that's an issue with being a young team is, is, is you know, obviously his words we, uh, not mine. Um, to, to clarify, but he said, you know, we're we're a young team and we tend to get up for teams like Boston and Milwaukee and, and stuff like that. And, and we need to do a better job of proving that we're not going to slip when it comes to um, teams that aren't that. And so Atlanta certainly isn't the Washington Wizards. You know, that that's not they're not going to have the same problem they had in that game where it's like, well, we should rip this team. Um, you know, Atlanta is a team that, that gave them, you know, everything they could handle the last time they played uh, when it was, I think, 157-152 in a, in a totally wild game. So they, they know, obviously, that there's firepower um, over there that they've got to be concerned about. So, I mean, there, there's obviously reason to say, like, hey, you know, like you, you have no earthly reason to overlook this team. They have Trey Young. They have DeWante Murray. They have Jaden Johnson. You know, they have dudes, you know, don't think suddenly that you're above them because um, you're not. But they still just beat Milwaukee, and they just beat the Knicks before that. Like, this this team does get that kind of success in its head from time to time. Uh, you know, that has certainly happened. So it is important for them to maintain and be able to win a game like that at home uh, and sort of prove that, that they're not going to, you know, get up in their, you know, uh, get up in their own heads and think, oh, we just beat, you know, Milwaukee, you know, took two from Milwaukee, now let's get – go take two from Boston and totally forget about this game, uh, you know, on Friday. Um, so that is important. But I think if they get drilled twice against Boston, that's that's not a big deal. And any game that they get, uh, if they win one out of two, it's a big, you know, it helps. Um, I, I, you know, they, they can, I think, with what they've done already, uh, they can live with losing both to Boston. But if they get one, uh, it's a deal. I mean, the Celtics are separating themselves from everybody else. Um, you know, they're – they're two and a half up on Milwaukee now. Um, I think they're the best team in the East. You know, I, I think they're probably the most talented team uh, in the NBA overall. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe certainly you still have to look at Denver uh, as the class, even though they're, you know, it, it's currently in third in the West and, and a game back in Minnesota and, and you know, I think what are they? And tied with Oklahoma City over there, you know, you start to look at Denver as the team because, you know, they're defending, defending champs. They've been there. They've won. Um, and Jokic is, I think, still the best player in the world. Um, but, you know, if there's no shame in losing to Boston twice. Um, if they get one, that's great. But, I, you know, there's no, I think, it, it, it does strike me as kind of a gravy series. And you, But you just have to, you know, whatever happens, uh, you can't lose to Washington after that. You know, you, you have to get up and, and, you know, frankly drill that team, uh, you know, when when they play, uh, you know, the, the following Wednesday. But anything they could pull off against Boston is great um, and would, would sort of move them further up in the discussion. But I, I don't think it changes their trajectory dramatically if they lose both of those games. Yeah, just talk about the standings. The East is crazy. But the West, the games behind are 1-1, 3-4-4, 5-6.5, 6.5, 8-8, 9-9. Eight, eight, so the the 12th yeah. team, even 12th, is nine games out of first and uh, uh, five games out of the uh, the top six, which is just uh, nuts. Um, and, ten, um, and, 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 and 10 and 11 of the Lakers and the Warriors. You yeah, know, and yeah, that, like, yeah. Which is a deal. Have a little bit of history. Yeah, and it, have a little bit of history, have a lot of money, have, you know, arguably, you know, you, you could go so far as to say the two most recognizable players in the NBA – um, they have no intention of fading, you know, like, like nine, 10, 11 is, you know, Phoenix Lakers warriors. So Durant, LeBron Curry, they're not giving up, you know, they are not going to say, well, this ain't our year. Let's fade back and go to the lottery. You know, they're going to make deadline pushes that they can make them. Obviously it's not easy for those teams to make deadline, you know, deals because, uh, of all the, the degree to which they're over the apron. Um, but, you know, they're going to make a push. And so it's not like we're, we're like Brooklyn, Chicago, Atlanta, Toronto uh, might just decide to fade out. The Lakers, Warri- the Lake- the Suns, Lakers, Warriors will not. Utah might behind them. You know, Utah, you know, yeah. might say, let's see what we can get for Laurie Markkinen and, you know, just take a dive here. Um, but you know, Golden, the Lakers and Phoenix and, and Golden State will not. They're going to try to make a push, and that's going to make the West really interesting because you know those those young up and comers, the T Wolves, the Thunder, the Kings, the Pelicans, 
don't plan on fading either. Nor do those Houston Rockets. I mean, that's a team that's that's made a giant leap. Um, you know, might be the most improved team in the league. Um, you know, so so that's going to be the West is going to be wild. And and you know, I I don't think Memphis is going to quit. I think they got with Morant back. Uh, you know, they they could get themselves back in that. Um, what are they? They're back a bunch of games. They're four and a half back of that pack. But I wouldn't be surprised to see you know Memphis be um, at least part of the discussion based on the way that, that – that, certainly based on the way that I saw them play against the Pacers. So the West is going to be nuts. I mean, this is a total aside. Um, but, you know, considering, you know, where all those teams are and where all those franchises are, uh, you know, more to the point, um, there, there is no reason for anybody from 1 to 11 to back off. You uh, – I wasn't going to go here yet, but we will since we're sort of talking about it with the with the trade market and things like that, and you brought up the, the Knicks-Raptors trade. Um, what does uh, – well, I'll, I mean, to me, Ananobi going to the Knicks, uh, I think – I mean, certainly the Pacers could have offered a better package by including Matherin. I would think that Matherin is a better choice than quickly in most people's eyes. Um and they didn't, which likely means either Ananobi wouldn't commit to signing long-term with the Pacers. Perhaps he wouldn't commit to signing long-term with anyone. You're not giving Matherin up without uh, without getting someone long-term, certainly. Um, the other na- big name you hear out there is from Toronto is obviously uh, Pascal Siakam. Um, he, uh, Mark Stein, I believe, reported that Siakam's not going to sign a long-term contract with anyone, um, which changes the, the the math around a deal for him. Um, and to me, thinking, I mean, if you're not getting him long-term, if you're only getting him for February, March playoff run, you're not giving up Matherin for him. You're not giving up a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, you're not giving up a lot of assets for a guy who's only going to be with you for two and a half months. Would you give up Isaiah? Would you trade Isaiah Jackson straight up for Pascal Siakam? I don't know if Toronto would do that, but that might be the best offer they get if he's not signing anywhere long term. But would you give him up uh, to get Siakam for uh, for a playoff run? Yeah, uh, I mean, and 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 I've been really impressed by what Isaiah Jackson's done, but I don't think that would move, would move. I mean, I, I you know to. I want to push back a little bit on the premise just because you said, okay, well, the Pacers probably could have put together a, a better package um, for OG. And I, I do think um, – and, and, and I know he gets ragged on a little bit, but I do think Barrett was a, a significant piece of that. And I think it was – you know, like you're talking about two guys in, in Quickly and Barrett that are around – you know, I, I don't know if – I'm looking at Barrett's um, – basketball reference page right now he's still 23 you know i mean he was a, a top three pick you know all american is a guy who scores still scores a bunch i mean I, I know he's not necessarily i think a lot of guys look at it and say that there's some, a lot of people look at him and say there's some empty points there because uh, he's you know a high volume guy shoots you know shooting 42.5 from the field which isn't a great figure for a guy that's that high volume and 33.6 from three but he's averaging 18 18.1 a game you know this year he's been above um well, I think he's sixteen and a half in the in the two games since. But I mean, he's he's been above seventeen throughout his career. You know, he's a guy that can put the ball in the bucket, and he's a you know he's a Canada guy. He's he's a Toronto guy. There's some value there. I mean, and so like that's still a really good young player. Um, and so if you think Mather might be better than Quickly, but you would have to give them two guys of Matherin's caliber. Um, to get to have be able to pride OG, if that's what they're saying that that, that the price was. Barrett and quickly in a pick, um, you know, Barrett and quickly are two really good players. So, so you wouldn't just be giving up Mather and you'd, you'd have to be give, giving up somebody else um, that's young and, you know, talented. Um, so, you know, that's, that would have been a pretty high price. Now, I don't know who the second guy is. I mean, maybe, maybe Turner, um, you know, maybe gets you there. Uh, maybe Neesmith gets you there, but that might be a stretch, honestly. So, Probably Nevhard. My point is more Possibly. if they wanted to make a trade for Ananobi, given what the Knicks gave up, I, the Pacers could have done it. I, not Probably. Well, I, I don't, I, my point is I don't think it's a sure thing. I, I think that's a good package. I think Toronto was happy with what they got. You know, that that's kind of I, – I think they had targets there um, and players that they really liked that they kind of felt like fit with what they do. I guess you could say if you match – if you slide in Nemhard and Matherin for Barrett and quickly – 
so so you're really lining up Matherin versus Barrett and Nemhard versus Quickly. And are you better in that? I'm not sure you are. You know, I, I guess I'm, throw in I'm, a first round pick if they want it. But. You could. You, I mean, they, they could have tried it. I, I guess the, the, the point is they, they could have tried it. I'm not sure. What I'm saying is I'm not sure you look at it and say the Pacers backed off. You know, the, I'm, the, the just, Pacers, giving, I'm just giving Toronto Canadians until they say yes. Personally. That's true. I think that and, and the, the Pacers have Canadians. And so yeah, maybe that's they, what they, they were clearly the market, in the market Canadians. There's no doubt about yeah, that. So. That's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to they're trying to turn the growing, you know, uh, Canadian pipeline into a just into a direct Canadian force. They want to be able to just recruit rather than, you know, signing and drafting guys to start recruiting Canadians. And that's how they're going to. Build a, the next. Yeah, it's a, it's a market Toronto inefficiency. Exactly. Market inefficiency. Clearly. Um, um, but, point, yeah, no, but, but yeah, no. But yeah, the point though is, do you have concerns that that people not players not wanting to commit to the Pacers long term will keep them from uh, being able to make a deal? That's you know basically just making a deal. I mean, or do they need to if they're going to beat Milwaukee four out of five? I think that I, I think part of it though is like the Pacers belief, the Pacers' theory of the case, as far as going and getting guys, uh, which was pretty much more or less Tyrese Halliburton got Adrian Wojnarowski to state this kind of, <laughs> yep. you know, mission statement, um, you know, uh, on on ESPN, on, on NBA Countdown or whatever it was between games uh, at the end-season tournament, that their idea was that they could land somebody and believe that they could re-sign them. And that includes past, past, you know, Siakam, because it's on the basis that, yeah, you say that now that you're not going to sign with whoever gets you. But our belief, you know, the Pacers, the Pacers belief are, again, using, you know, imagine them speaking this is that if they get somebody in 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 the door, they'll be able to keep them. Because they'll play this style and they'll see what it's like to, to be paired up with Tyrese Halliburton. They'll be like, wow, this is a whole lot of fun. Uh, and you got money and you can pay it to me and this is going to be a blast. You know, like obviously Siakam can say, you know, it, it is trying to ward teams off and say, I don't really want to be traded for. I don't want to be moved at this point. Um, and, you know, he's obviously trying to get the word out there that that's not what he wants. And if you're the Pacers, you know, you're not you would not trade him on, under the belief that he's a rental. You would trade for him under the belief that you could convince him to change his mind. Like, that's that's what you're banking on. You are banking on the strength of your fun style of play and your unselfish superstar being able to convince somebody that once you get here, you're going to love it. You know, and, and, and it's having that level of belief. So if they go get Siakam, um, they're not going to do it under the belief that he's going to walk. You know, they they are convincing themselves that they will be able to keep him. Um, and so that, that I think, is the thing. now they might back off on the sense that, okay, this guy's putting out very clear signals that he doesn't want to stay. It's not worth the risk of what we'll, we'll you know, the, the price tag is going to be. You know, maybe we'll be able to get him to stay, but if if we're wrong, it's not worth the risk. You know, but so, but if, if my point is, if they get him, if they do go all out and get him, it is, you know, you, you have to judge that on the basis that the statement they're making is they believe they can keep him. You know, I don't uh, think, to me, I don't go all out for him for that reason. I, I, I yeah, I, I don't okay. either. I, I would be risk averse with it, but if they're doing it, so I, I, it, it does ultimately just sort of change the calculus. It says, okay, you know, what. Um, and, and, and part of it in, in that case is that, you know, Siakam going out and doing that lowers the price tag because he's saying, okay, you know, you're, you're not going to get to keep me. So I am a rental and it's, it's telling the Raptors that they can charge less, uh, that, that, that they can't charge as much as they would like to. So if they decide they want to move him, um, if they don't believe they have any chance of resigning him or if they don't want to, um, you know, if they really want to part from him that badly to clear up the cap space, um, then, you know, they, they are in a position basically that, that, that they can't demand as much. And, and, and if it is somebody like an Isaiah Jackson, if that's all it's going to take, uh, you know, I kind of feel like you have to do it. 
Um, you know, it, it, it because I, I think in that case it's worth the risk. If you're being asked for Benedict Matherin and you think it's a risk, you think it's that big a risk to get him. If you are being asked for Matherin and Nemhard, um, then no, you probably don't do it. You don't trade away guys that are in their 20s for a guy that's in his 30s. Um, you know, it, because you're not making a title push, you know, you, this year. Even if you get Siakam, I don't think you're there. You know, I, you you don't you still don't have what Boston has. You know, you, you still don't have that kind of firepower. Um, right. So you know, like if if you're not in a position where you can gun for a title, um, you don't want to make a, a risk on what could be a rental. But if you believe you can trade a non, you know, a I mean, it's weird with the Pacers, and we can get into this too because it's just starters versus rotational players. Like, it's not even a, a, a distinction that really makes sense for you right now. Um, but if if you're trading a guy that you don't see as a pillar, um, then you know, I, I don't I don't think that's undoable. You know, again, I I I I think Isaiah Jackson's a really good player. I think Isaiah Jackson is who he's going to be. He's going to improve. I think he's going to be a better player, but ultimately he's a high energy guy who's, you know, not going to shoot threes, not going to be a center that you build your offense around, um, but is going to, you know, dunk lobs, rebound and block shots, you know, that like he's going to be your guy as a six, nine, you know, long limbed, skinny, high leaping player for a long time. I think he's got a chance to spend a long time in the league and be that type of guy. But, you know, even though there's there may not be a ceiling on how high he leaps, there's I think there's a ceiling on who he is as a player. He's not going to be Jokic or Embiid. Like that's not he he's not on that on that track. So if you and he's not on the Siakam track. Um, so frankly, if you move him um, and you, you put yourself in a position that you can win an Eastern Conference series uh, and, and get yourself at least in the semis and maybe even in the finals uh, in the in the you know in the ECF. He might, it might be worth it for a guy that's sort of on the low end of, of your current rotation. You just, but you can't move a pillar for him. You can't move a Matherin. You can't even move a Nemhard, who I, I still think they, they see because of his defense as a really key piece, uh, you know, or a Neesmith. Um, I, I don't think you can move one of those guys. And I don't think you can necessarily move a Jarris Walker either because I still think they have a lot of belief in what he can be. Um, but, you know, a guy like Jackson, where I think you're, um, he's getting better all the time. I think he's a really good player, um, and I think he can be a really good player for them for a long time and matter for them, but he's not going to be um, – I, I don't think he's going to be the starting five man. You know, I think he's going to be a really, really good backup five for a long time, um, but I don't know if he's ever going to be their starter. So, you know, uh, you know, their, their whole year starter. So I, I do think you can make that move and, and take that gamble and believe you can get more than one year out of Pascal Siakam. Yeah, and I mean, I, I have no idea, obviously, if Toronto would, would take just Isaiah Jackson and Smoller. Or Jackson and Picks or something I like mean, that. I mean, Jackson and Picks. It also could be Jackson and Toppin. I mean, if you've got Siakam, you don't probably need Toppin at that point. Um, um You know, again, the, the, it's more, is Toronto going to get to a point where it's let him walk in free agency or get um, someone like Isaiah Jackson, who averages 18 points, 11 rebounds, uh, three blocks, steal and a half. Shoots 67% from the floor per 36 minutes. Now, he averages seven fouls per 36 minutes, which makes him playing 36 minutes kind of a problem, given the rules of the NBA. But I think Jackson's (laughs) got, you know, you could talk yourself into Jackson and maybe Jackson and something else if if that was your only choice. Um, I think I they believe they're that, getting. I, I think they believe they're getting a big package for a, a significant. For Siakam, probably yes. Yeah, I I, I, never, I I think they think they're getting. I mean, I I I think the the even even with the scenario of believing that he could be a rental, um, I, you know, I, first of all, I I I do think there's probably teams other than the Pacers who believe in themselves the same way. That, yeah, yeah. You know, or there are teams that are more. Um, built to take on a rental, you know, well, that, and, that and are there, close. And there's a lot of people, or there's some talk that Ananobi's earmarked for the the Sixers next year. So, um, mm. we, you know, we don't know what the conversations were, but it's not like the Knicks are guaranteed to keep him. No, they're um, not. They, they have to believe in themselves. I mean, if, if you're the New York Knicks, you believe that you're capable of getting a guy like OG to stay. You know, I mean, 
OG, based on I me, mean, like I didn't cover him in Indiana. I wasn't there. Um, I, I think I was there when he was re- recruited on, on the beat, you know, the first time around. But based on everybody I talked to, you know, guys that, you know, like, like Zach and, and everybody else who covered him, he's a, he's a pretty quiet guy. You know, like I, I don't know how New York is going to, sh- you know, suit him, but Tibbs suits him. You know, like I, I think Tibbs is going to love him. Um, and if they win and it's like, Hey, this is how, you know, your, your defense is going to be rewarded. Um, they've got a chance to keep him, you know? Um, so, you know, so yeah, I mean, obviously Ananobi could end up going to Philly after that. You know, it, it, it is possible that if he goes into free agency, the Pacers have a chance. They've got cap room. They can make an offer and they like him. Um, so, but you know, I, you know, if, if you're in New York, you have to believe in yourself because you're in New York. You know, yes, you're playing, I think New York has a slight advantage over Indianapolis in the eyes of many people. But yes, um, but <laughs> I got an email. You know, we got. I'm sure you get them too. About oh, here are the odds of this guy going there. Uh, the Pacers were number two for Jordan Clarkson, which makes zero sense to me. In that none, none Clarkson's whatsoever. a volume scorer who doesn't shoot threes particularly well, but he shoots them a lot. And I don't want to put. Yeah. I mean, he does. He can feed five assists a game, so he he does. You know, he does more than just shoot the ball. Um, but the Pacers got that, so I have zero idea why they would trade for Jordan Clarkson. Laurie yeah. Markinen makes some sense, um, but after that, I don't even know who is out there that uh, you know that's available. Yeah, no, I, mean, I think there are still, um, and and that's the thing with this point in the year is you're still waiting to see who the sellers are. Um, and so if you know you're you're looking down the, the road here, so you, you know you got to look at Brooklyn. Presume everybody in Charlotte, Washington, and Detroit is well. No, no, okay, that's not true. Detroit obviously has its sort of young pillars that they have to believe in. Um, but you know, you look at you know Brooklyn, Atlanta, Chicago, Toronto. You have to consider anybody that's uh, at least nearing the end of their contract um, is available. Um, and so you know, you, you obviously like Siakam and, and previously OG in Toronto. They, I, I think, obviously consider Scotty Barnes to be uh, a pillar going forward, so you know, he's off the table. Look at Chicago, I think Levine, but I don't think uh, Levine necessarily fit, fits the Pacers, and they're going to have to ask a pretty high price uh, for Levine. Um, if Atlanta fades, you know, a, a Murray maybe, um, or somebody like that. Obviously, they moved on from John Collins earlier this year. I don't know what I don't know what Murray's deal is. Um, I don't know how he fits with the Pacers either necessarily. I mean, he's a versatile no. guy, but the the Pacers got wings coming out of their ears, which we're going to talk about in a moment. They um, do, mm-hmm. and so I, I I mean I you know no I got nothing against. They need Murray's a player. big they need a big wing they yeah. need a big. A, a four wing rather than a two three wing. Um, obviously, they they have plenty of two three wings. They they could use a four. Like what's like if Brooklyn fades out, what have they got? You know, I'm, I, you kind of have to remind yourself who's on Brooklyn. Uh, you know, after their just sort of last year, you know, deal. Um, and they re-signed Cam Johnson, so that's that's a guy that wouldn't be available. Um, you know, um, yeah, Claxton, but I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, there. like. Claxton doesn't really fit. You've already got, you know, if you've got Isaiah Johnson, what do you need? Nick? Yeah, what do you need Nick Claxton for? Um, you know, uh, can you foresee a scenario in which uh, does does Mikhail Bridges fit? You know, that feels like a little bit of a reach to me. Um, that that the the Nets would want to move on from him. Um, what's what's his contract status here? Let's see. Um, you know, like that'd be a guy. That you can, you know, certainly if you're the Pacers, you'd want them. Um, you know, I don't know if Brooklyn's, you know, looking to move on from them or not, or, you know, if, if the bottom would have to fall out, uh, for them to, to start looking in that direction. I mean, he's under contract for, you know, two more seasons for 2024, 25 and 2025, 26, uh, beyond this. And they're paying him, you know, 23.3 and 24.9, which isn't a bad deal. Um, as far as being able to, to maintain him. Um, so Brooklyn would have to decide that it's, you know, willing to just go away. Um, but they also don't have their own pick, so I don't think they're – I mean, again, not to say that they wouldn't trade Bridges in the right deal, but I don't – you know, mm-hmm. I, I just – yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I – again, I don't know that that makes a ton of sense. He's also a wing with – I mean, you wouldn't turn down Mikhail Bridges, but uh, 
he's not no. exactly a perfect fit either. So no, he's not. A, he's not a perfect fit. He's not big and he's not quite big enough for what you're looking for. He's six six. You want six six eight six nine um, at that position. And so yeah, I mean it, at this point you're not sure what's really available. You know, Siakam fits. Uh, Jeremy you know, Grant. Right, right, yeah, but he I mean he he just resigned. If you're Portland, are you willing to to move on from a guy that you just gave a whole lot of money to? Uh, he's averaging three point eight rebounds a game. How's that? Yeah, possible? that it is wild to consider. But he, I mean, you know, you saw how he played when when the Trailblazers were in in Philly. He was or not in Philly in in Indianapolis. I mean, he was you know Frank, you know, operating as the lead guard. Uh, you know, even though he's a big wing, you know, size-wise, I mean, he was operating as a lead guard. And you know, so, I mean, Aiton's doing a lot of the rebounding over there, um, and it's just kind of a generally messy scenario. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, you're you're still on the lookout for them, but you don't know who's going to shake loose at this point. Obviously, Siakam's been the obvious target for a long point, long period, but you know, you, you don't know who else is going to be. Uh, someone worth looking at, and and they might go something smaller uh, as far as name is concerned. Um, you know, like a, a guy on par with Jay Crowder. You know, like uh, in terms of what he was last year. You know, you wouldn't be surprised if they if they look cheaper um, and look for a guy like that. I don't know who that would be. Like obviously, Markinen. If Markinen, I think Markinen is going to cost a whole lot. Yeah, I, I, I think I, so too. I don't think you're getting Markinen without parting with Matherin. Yeah. And first and multiple first round picks or yeah. Matherin and Nemhard and picks and yeah, I, that's a lot. I mean, Orlando's got a lot of big guys. I don't, you know, but I don't know. Are they going to trade with a team they're competing directly with? Um, you know, do you want to take a chance on Jonathan Isaac? Uh, probably Oof. not. You know, Wendell Carter, yeah. but I don't know if they want to deal him given no. that he's, he's better than he's shown this year because he's coming back from injury. And then right. you get, I mean, Heald would be a great fit for Orlando. I just don't know if sure a harder Heald trade makes any sense for anyone, for, for Orlando. Mm. So. No, uh, yeah, there's, there's not an obvious, I mean, I think you, yeah, like, they, they have a lot of these big wings where they play them together. You know, you, you, you have, you know, Bankero and Wagner are, are similar, but, you know, well, no, Bank, Bankero is obviously bigger, but like, you're building your team around Bankero and Wagner, yeah. so these guys aren't movable. Um, right. You know, like um, much as you might like to bring Gary Harris home, I don't know that he makes any sense. Uh, um, same Duke, same skills they already got, basically. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's not a clear there, there's not a clear move there. So it, it it it's hard to say. I mean, the market's not does not seem to be that deep right now. Obviously, again, things can change between now and February. Uh, other teams can fade. Um, you know, like there, there might, I think, you know, to, to your point, looking at Orlando, I mean, maybe somebody like, um, somebody like the Lakers in the West might need something different and might be willing to part with some length to get, you know, some shooters. And so, you know, are the Lakers that team? Probably not. I don't think they're giving up a Jared Vanderbilt to get a buddy healed. Um, which I, I think if you're the Pacers, you would love to have, but I don't think that that's going to work necessarily. Yeah, so. Hachimura excites you, not really. Right, and I don't, I don't know if they would deal him either. I mean, I do think they, they got better last year because they got those guys, you know, because they got Hachimura and because they got Vanderbilt. Um, and as much as they still need shooting, I think that they that that wing size and having additional defenders, you know, still is is kind of a pillar for them. And so I don't know if it's a strength that you want to lessen. Um, it, I mean, I, 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 if you're the Pacers, you would take Hachimura, and if, you, and if they want healed, you'd give it to them. I, I don't think that's um, – I, I, I wouldn't – you know, that that wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, but I don't know that that works for the Lakers. So, all right, know, well, well, we'll wrap up with uh, a talk about the Pacers' lineups, um, which has hmm. been interesting. It's something we've talked about all year. Um, and it's been – I mean, they've moved guys around, even though I'm not sure they really – I mean, it was, a, it was almost like they were doing it just to do it because they felt like hmm. they needed to – to try to get some more defense out there. And, it, and I say this, it's worked. I mean, the players that they've used have been good, but I, I, the, the starting lineup they were using was also good. Um, mm. I, I guess just what has been your perspective on that and the players' willingness to to absorb all that? Because some guys care about starting, and it's uh, good to see that these guys don't. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think um, there's some interesting pieces too. I mean, I don't know – I don't look and say, man, that starting lineup has been just phenomenal together and they're just, 
you know, just shutting everybody down on defense. But they're just a little bit edgier, and they're a little bit tougher, and they, you know, have some size there. I mean, I, I think, you know, kind of the long-term question, obviously, in terms of its effectiveness is, all right, you know, how does Jalen Smith work as a guy who's defending these type of fours that have been a problem? You know, like, and, you know, he's not playing super heavy minutes while doing it, even though he started he started last night and only played 19, uh, you know, 19-14. Um, I, I guess it's because it, it, it makes it a kind of by committee scenario. Um, you're you're putting Aaron Neesmith out there for, you know, he played 21-42. He's still playing heavy minutes, but he's not just taking, you know, being run over by the freight train over and over and over and over again. And even though he wasn't starting and he is starting now, um, you know, he at least gets to open up against threes rather than fours. You know, like it, and I think that matters. Um, and I, I think that's that's keeping him a little bit fresher rather than. You know, he's just taking a beating, uh, you know, one-on-one from Giannis and LeBron. I, I think that's, that's making a difference. I mean, there are, it's, it's not like it's, – it, it, it's not a magic wand scenario. It's not a, ah, this, the solution has been determined. If you get Jalen Smith out there to defend these fours, like that's the guy who should have been guarding them all along. You know, the reason Jalen – part of the reason Jalen Smith moved back from being the starting power forward last year is because he's not necessarily a good fit for these really skilled – uh, for, you know, power forwards like the Honestes and like the LeBrons and and Paolo Banqueros, he can he can deal with bigger dudes, but it's like he's not necessarily got that kind of bend uh, to stick with somebody that's a real perimeter player as a four man. Um, so, you know, Neesmith fit that better, was able to bring more, you know, bring a lot of presence and force, um, but also chase those guys around. Um, and so that was part of the reason why he got moved back was also because he wasn't shooting it nearly, it nearly the unconscious clip that he has been. Um, but starting with size has helped. It's helped in the glass. Uh, and, and Smith is providing at least some resistance on those guys, even if he's not winning them all the time. Um, and, and I, I think it's just got him in the right mindset, um, that they are just, they, they're just playing with, with more force defensively. It's not a great defensive team, um, but it's helping. It, it's putting length around the rim. It, it's putting some, you know, rim protection around, you know, around the rim. They're just not giving things up as easy, uh, in the paint, uh, as they were. I mean, it's not that they're, you know, they're not walling it off. They still gave up, I think, 60 in the paint last night. Um, but it's something. And, and, and obviously last night was part of, you know, bringing out a, a gimmick um, that other people use. So it's not like it was just Rick Carlisle who invented it, but doing this three-man wall against Giannis was really helpful. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it's creating a scenario where there's not clear units, but guys are adapting to that and doing it well. And, and I think to, um, you know, Rick Carlisle's point, Obi Toppin has really come off the bench just fine. And, and I think that was one that you had to be, a little worried about not necessarily because of his personality, but you still go back to um, you always think with with guys that have been stuck on the bench before, is there going to be some you know gun shyness, some you know like I I don't like using this term, but 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 it's it's kind of a, a similar concept, like a PTSD to it, of feeling like oh no, I know I I'm stuck again. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, that, that I, I'm back to the same scenario I was with. I was in New York and Toppin hasn't felt that way and he's still playing heavy minutes. He played 26 and a half or 26 minutes and 50 seconds last night and did really good. I mean, eight rebounds, four assists, 15 points, you know, really strong across the board performance, you know, had that dunk that he threw his arm in the rim. Um, you know, it was really impressive. And, and Carlisle came out and said, you know, I, I've been really impressed with this guy's young man, Ben, Benedict Matherin has done just fine, um, being moved back to the bench, even though it was kind of a deal that he was annoying in a starter. Um, you know, he's still done really just, just fine coming off the bench. Um, he had 16 last night. He's had three really good games in a row. Um, you've had these guys, TJ McConnell, Isaiah Jackson, that were getting a lot of DNPs that have still been big time contributors. Um, you know, Buddy Heald, you know, only played 13 minutes last night. You know, is, is a start, has been a starter, has been a guy who's, you know, who's top 25 all time and made three pointers, stepped in, just made a couple of them in 13 minutes and was just fine. Um, so it speaks to, you know, the personalities on this group, which it speaks to the depth. Also, I think tells you something about how Rick Carlisle is handling this. Uh, I mean, I think it's not easy to, you know, move guys around, um, to get them to buy into it, to get them to deal with changing roles, to get them to be okay with DNPs when they happen, um, and to sell, tell them to just stay ready, but, you know, also reward them for staying ready. You know, that's, that I think is a big piece to it is 
if you're going to ask a guy to stay ready, you also have to stay ready to find him an opportunity to play. Um, and he's done that. He, he, he hasn't, you know, married himself to, to two units, you know, to a starting five and a backup five. And if the third unit gets in, it gets in, but, you know, be okay with them taking DNPs for weeks at a time. You know, he's made sure to look for opportunities to play Jackson, to play McConnell, um, and make sure those guys still feel involved in like their rotational guys. Um, and on the flip side of that, you know, you also have, you know, he's getting time for the rookies, Shepard and, and Walker, uh, at the G League, keeping those guys fresh and, and, and keeping those guys engaged. Having them together, uh, you know, matters, just keeping them right. I mean, the only guy on the team that you got to look at right now and say has got to be unhappy, um, is Jordan Nora. And so if you're keeping all but really one guy on the roster happy, uh, you're, you're, you're doing something pretty well. You know, that, that, that takes a lot on, on a coach and a staff's part to be able to do that. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, I wanted to mention, uh, Sorry. Walker. Oh, good. I was afraid we were going to get through the podcast without uh, your dog. Exactly. Waiting. Maxine had a lot of thoughts that she was she was sleeping without sharing. <laughs> she was waiting for the the lineup talk. Uh, but I'm going to go exactly. wait for the lineup talk. Uh, I wanted to bring this up, and we're 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 going long here. But um, you hear some people just sort of make Jarris Walker a throw in in trades, like oh they can trade him and and what you know mm-hmm. and, and Matherin and. Uh, given what he's done at the G League, I don't think you can do that. And my the bigger question for me is at what point do you need to find time for him in the NBA? And maybe maybe you don't need to do that this year just because he's a rookie. But but what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on where uh, Walker is um, at this point? No, I do think there has to be some payoff for him too. I, I think going back to that point of saying if you got if you're going to tell somebody to stay ready, um, you got to stay ready for them. And so I, I do think that there is a God, Maxine's a lot of noise. Say, um, <laughs> there, there is. I, I think, like, if if, if you're going to say, well, you have to meet kind of this standard, and when you do it, you'll get in. You know, your time is coming. Um, you have to be ready to provide that time. You know, you have to be ready to provide that time when it comes available. When he earns it, you got to find a way to find those minutes. If if, if you're just shaving some off from a couple other guys. You know, finding little ten-minute scenarios here or there um, where where you can get them in, or five-minute scenarios, and trying you know like uh, they did against Washington, not just doing it when games are decided or when they're going sideways. You know, looking to say, okay, you've earned it, you know, and so today you get to play. Um, Carl has been pretty good about that in the past, so he's got, I think, um, you know, look for the you know look for those situations. I don't think right now is the time because your streak, you know, you're you're on a five-game winning streak. You're not looking to, you know, uh, play around there. But, you know, you're you're going to hit some lulls. You're going to have some games that you're losing or, or you're some nice when it's, you know, you're winning one, losing the next, uh, you know, in, in kind of more situations like that. You don't mess with the winning streak. But, you know, somewhere in the distance, you have to look for ways to get him more, I think, um, you know, consistent minutes. Doesn't have to be a ton. Doesn't have to be 20 a game. He doesn't have to become part of the constant rotation. But there just has to be, I think, a reward. I, I think that's that's the basis on which, you know, Rick Carlisle is operating, that, you know, you got to be honest with guys. And if you're going to say stuff like your time is coming and then you you see improvement and a guy getting better, you got to reward him. You know, you, like he, he has he, – he did what you asked. And so you have to do what you said you were going to do. Um, and again, Carl has been very, very good at that. That's been, I think, the basis of why this is going so well. Um, you know, as far as getting these guys to work, he's certainly done it with, with Toppin, with Jackson, with McConnell. Um, you know, been clear about, hey, you know, you might have a smaller role right now, but for now, um, you get to, you know, it's going to improve because you've done what you've been asked to do. All right. We will wrap it up there. Uh, appreciate you listening to the From Way Downtown podcast. Please go to IndyStar.com for all of Dustin's work, and uh, thanks for listening. All right. Thank you.